Hi, my name is Andrea Bumstead and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.RestoreTemecula.com and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. One more, before I start today, one more exciting piece of news. Church is the family of God, right? Weren't sure we were going to see them today or not, but Andrew and Destiny. People already know. They got married married this weekend. Uh, Very, very cool. Very, very special. There she is. We're talking about you, Destiny. Uh, really quick, just guys, I'm so thrilled and excited for what God's doing in your life and the ways that he is guiding you and leading you in the ways that you are, I don't know, kind of boldly and courageously step by step going, Jesus, I want to, I want to say yes to you in every area of my life and watching you do that is just a joy. So honor you, bless you, so excited for your future together, your family, the, the way that God is doing, uh, the way, I should say what God's doing in you is just really beautiful. So. Congratulations, guys. We love you very much. All right, so this morning, we're going to continue on in our series, uh, The King and His Kingdom, where we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been really exploring both the King of all things, the King of Kings, that's Jesus, and His Kingdom. And when I speak about His Kingdom, I'm speaking about His rule, His reign, His way. All right, so there's this concept of the Kingdom of Heaven, where the kingdom of God, those two things are synonymous. And there's, it's, the kingdom of heaven is so much more than just a place that you go to after you die. It is that. But it's so much more than that. It's, it's in a reality that we get to experience here and now. Not completely, not fully, but partly in the present, fully in the future. And that whole like, dynamic of the partly, the way that heaven is invading earth um, through, through Jesus first and then through his spirit, through his people now, like we want to learn about that because that, that has implications on how we live. So that's kind of been the heartbeat behind the series that we're in. And we're in a portion of the Gospel of Matthew uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest teaching in the history of the world, the best sermon by far, uh, so much wisdom. That's where we are. Now, listen, today's topic is kind of a sensitive topic, I feel like, especially in our culture. But today's topic is one that Jesus teaches on a lot, okay? Like, a lot. Today we're going to talk about money and all the oxygen gets sucked out of the room. (laughs) Stay with me, though. We're going to talk about money. Here's the thing. When I say Jesus teaches on money, he talks about money a lot, I'm not exaggerating. He talks about money more often than he talks about heaven, more frequently. He talks about uh, money more often, more frequently than he talks about hell, um, I read that of his 38 parables, parables is like a story that Jesus uses to teach. Of his 38 parables, Jesus taught about money in 16 of them. If you do the math, that's almost half. 
So Jesus is not afraid to talk about money. It doesn't make him feel uncomfortable. He knows that talking about money is really important because money has this like way of influencing people. Uh, when I brought up that we're talking about money, some of you internally went, oh God, I wish I wouldn't have come this morning because I don't want to talk about money. It makes me feel uncomfortable. A lot, of, um, a lot of secular culture, and I would even say sometimes in the church, they have this misunderstanding that biblical Christianity is just so consumed with money. The church, the people of God, the institution just want your, they want access to your wallet. Like, listen, hear me, please. Can we just settle in for a second? Jesus transcends all this. This may be um, discomfort when it comes to talk about finances and money and like, what if this morning, what if despite however you feel about it, some of you are like, I feel good about this, this is great, some of you maybe not so much, regardless of where you're at, can we just collectively give ourselves over to go, Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to be your disciples. We want to learn about what you say about money because it has implications on our souls. He cares about us, Okay. This morning, I got, a, I got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm just going to jump right in, okay? There's your introduction. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start here in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, uh, Marshall's got the words on the screen there for you. Thank you, Marshall. Thank you, Kevin, for your support and service to us this morning, guys. Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 19. Before I read this, I just want to pray. I want us to open up our hearts, open up our spirits, ask God to guide us, ask him to teach us. So would you join me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been so generous to us with your spirit. You've been so generous to us with your son. I pray that this morning you would help us, you would teach us, you would um, instruct us uh, I really desire to position myself in, in such a way, Lord, that I'm, like, I'm genuinely a servant here. Um, whatever you want to do, Lord God, whatever you, whatever you desire to communicate to people, I don't want to get in the way of anything that you want to accomplish, so I pray that you'd help me this morning, you'd humble me this morning. This isn't about me. Um, more than anything, Lord, we desire to, to follow you. We desire to enjoy you. We desire to obey you and operate like you, Jesus. That's what you created us to do. And so would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you enlighten us to the beauty of who you are and the ways that we can uh, enjoy you and obey you and operate like you more faithfully and more fruitfully? We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, starting here in verse 19. Let's roll. This is Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve 
both God and money. Okay. Uh, I got a bunch of points for you tonight. My first, or to this morning, my first point for you is this. Heaven is a superior investment. If you're writing, you've taken notes, write that down. Heaven is a superior investment. Okay. Now, when it says store up, he says store up treasure for yourselves. In the original language there for store up, what that means is it means to, to store away for future use. Okay, so it's this idea of almost like saving, kind of, right? There's, there's serious financial implications. People have tried to teach this passage and kind of remove finances from it and just make it only spiritual. That's not, that's not the case. Uh, to kind of prove that point, when it says treasure, what do you think of when, when you hear the word treasure? Uh, my daughters are in a play this morning all weekend, Peter Pan, right? And there's pirates, and you think of like treasure, like buried treasure. Like when you think of treasure, what comes to your mind? Here, again, original language is so helpful, okay? The original Greek, that word treasure, here's what it refers to. It's referring to accumulated wealth in the form of money and other valuables, okay? That's what it's talking about when it's talking about treasure. It's very clear. Uh, I don't know, maybe a little over 15 years ago, uh, I, was, I was ordained as a licensed pastor, okay? Yeah, kind of a important moment, right? And, and along with that, the, the, the church that I was pastoring at the time, uh, I, it was made available to me, there it is, it was made available to me uh, a 403B. Now, some of you in the room know what that is. What a 403B is, is it's basically the equivalent of a 401K. So a 401K is like a retirement vehicle that you can save for retirement and kind of get, get through tax stuff, right? What a 403B is, is it's essentially like a 401k for nonprofit employees and for clergy, okay? So I just get ordained. I now become um, uh, able to uh, invest towards retirement in a 403b plan. And here's the thing. I have no idea what that even means at the time. I just get handed this packet and they're like, okay, hey, you're eligible to, to contribute to this um, to the degree that you want to, taking out of your taxes or out of your paycheck, how much do you want out? And I remember thinking like, ah, I don't know, like, what do I do? And where would it go? And I, I just had no concept, right? But I got handed this, like, kind of pamphlet. Maybe some of you guys have, have, been, have done something similar. And there's, like, all these, like, mutual funds and bonds and different stock things that I just have no concept of at the time. And I remember thinking, like, what do I do here? Like, what should I invest in? And, like, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual fund, all those kinds of things. At the time, I didn't have a... Uh, uh, what's known as a financial advisor. So I, so I was lost. I, I didn't know what to do. Now, thankfully, I have one now. And listen, not to name drop, I don't want to be that guy, but a very close friend of mine is, he's the most successful financial advisor, gosh, in history. Uh, some of you in the room, you, you know who I'm talking about. His name's Jesus. <laughs> By far, the most successful financial advisor in the history of the world, okay? Listen to me. In the very beginning of this passage, Jesus is talking about investing, okay? Hey, listen, and here's the thing, because he's not against investing. He's not against investing. Get this, guys. He's not even against investing. Like, he's not even against storing up Treasure for who? What did it say? It said yourself. 
Stay with me. Some of you are already like, whoa, dude, where are you going with this? Jesus isn't even against storing up for yourself. He commands that you store up for yourself in verse 20. So it's not just an indicative, it's an imperative. It's a command. He's saying, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he's not against that. Here's the thing, though. He is against something in this passage. Did you, did you catch what it was in those first couple verses? Jesus is against storing up treasure for yourself in the wrong place. In other words, he's against unwise investments. Now, uh, recently I watched this documentary on Bernie Madoff. Anybody know who Bernie Madoff is? Handful of you. Uh, very kind of like scandalous, infamous uh, occurrence in, in our nation's history. Bernie Madoff was this Wall Street hedge fund banister, uh, manager, like really uh, respected guy uh, in his field. Like uh, people thought highly of him, right? So he's this Wall Street hedge fund manager. And like I said, really successful. And thousands and thousands of people were investing, listen, billions and billions of dollars with Bernie Madoff. Okay, so he was essentially functioning as their financial advisor. So what they would do is they would, they would give their money to Bernie, and then Bernie would then supposedly invest that money on their behalf. He'd manage their, 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 their resources, their finances. And then the, the way it's supposed to go is that then he would, he would then pay them like the sort of return on that investment, okay? He was their financial advisor. But here's the thing. If you know the story, you know he actually wasn't investing all that money. He received all that money, but he didn't invest any of it. He just kind of sat on it. In fact, what he was doing was he was running a Ponzi scheme. He's running a Ponzi scheme, okay? So here's how it would work. Thousands and thousands of people would entrust billions and billions of dollars to their financial advisor, Bernie Madoff. He would sit on that money, and then what he would do is he would, he would go even to extents where he would, he would make these false um, bank statements, like these false transaction statements. They're not real. He would literally, his staff would create these, and what they would do is they would send them to their clients going, we made this such and such trade, we traded this stock for that stock at like the perfect time, so here's your return. You got 10% this month, and that's what your, your, your statement would say. Right? So all this money's growing when in fact it's not growing at all. And then some people would want to withdraw their money from his mutual fund, essentially, from his hedge fund. And he'd be like, fine, you can have your money, but I'm no longer investing your money. Go ahead, take it out, but you're done. You're, you're not included in this anymore. And people would panic because they'd go, dude, Bernie Madoff gets the best returns. This, this guy's like, he's the golden boy. Like he, he's the, I get the Midas touch. No, actually, no, I don't want to withdraw anything. But over time, some people would because they'd need to retire and stuff. And what would happen is that original pool of money would shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. But on paper, the statements that he's sending out, it's just exponentially growing. You tracking with me? So he's running a Ponzi scheme. He's taking all this money, and it's actually not going to make its way to the people. And here's what ends up happening. What ends up happening is that this guy, I'm going to butcher his name. His name is Harry Markopoulos. It's funny because his last name literally is spelled like Marco Polos, but it's Markopoulos. This guy, Harry Markopoulos, he is another Wall Street guy. And the documentary like breaks all this down in a really compelling way, but he's like kind of a competitor. So he works for a, comp a competing firm on Wall Street. And he starts to like 
All these people are like, God, this guy, Bernie Madoff, gets the best returns. He's the best financial advisor, right? And this guy, I'm going to call him Harry because that's his first name. He goes, we have to be able to compete with that. But his returns are so good. Like his bosses were like, you need to investigate. Like we need to offer something similar. So kind of reverse engineer what he's doing. And so in the process, this guy, Harry, he, he does all this research on Bernie Madoff and his strategies. And he comes to a conclusion. He goes, this isn't just like improbable. Like this guy is like the greatest financial advisor ever. He goes, it's mathematically impossible what's going on. Because remember, he's writing false statements. It's fraud. It's not real. And so this guy, very intelligent dude, he's able to investigate this and goes, the only, ex- the only explanation for this is that he's running a Ponzi scheme. And so for years... I'm talking like almost a decade. He's warning the government. He's warning the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Like he's, 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 he's warning Wall Street. He's going, this guy Bernie Madoff is running a Ponzi scheme. Like this, this isn't real. Warning, 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 warning. And nobody listens to him. So it's like this failure on every level, right? And what happens, remember thousands of people, the vast majority of those people lose everything everything. Like, just think about that for a second. I mean, they're literally interviewing like elderly couples who like on the verge of retirement go to withdraw their money and it's all gone. And they they interview this one couple where this guy, like he ends up losing all that. And then he ends up losing his house because that's all his money that he was, his retirement he was going to use to pay his house. All of it gone. And there's no recourse. Like, what, is he, what do you do? The money's gone. Their entire life savings. Friends, listen to me. Jesus is warning his followers in this passage He's warning his followers about where they invest their money. He's saying, listen to me, don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth. It's sort of like investing with Bernie Madoff. Storing up treasures on earth, you're going to lose it all. He goes, instead, store up treasure for yourselves in heaven where it will never be taken from you. In fact, it will last forever. Um, Randy Alcorn, pastor, theologian, author, uh, pretty, pretty um, intelligent, godly guy. Uh, written a bunch of books, but in one of his books, he refers to this concept that Jesus is teaching here about storing up treasures and where you're going to do that. He refers to this as the treasure principle. And he wrote a book called The Treasure Principle, full with this. And, and his, his concept in that book is basically this. It's, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Listen to this quote. Uh, Alcorn says this quote, anything we try to hang on to here will be lost, but anything we put into God's hands will be ours for eternity. If that doesn't take your breath away, you don't understand it. If we invest in the eternal instead of the temporal, the temporary, we store up treasures in heaven that will never stop paying dividends. Whatever treasures we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. End quote. So friends, hear me. 
the greatest financial advisor in history is saying that eternal investments are better than temporary ones. He's like, so, so, so don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth. Instead, send them ahead to heaven. Why? Because heaven is a superior investment. Now, um, we should probably talk about heaven. What is heaven? Uh, contrary to popular belief, heaven is not the place where you're like, when you die, you go and float in the clouds and you have wings and a harp. And for some reason, you like look like a baby. Like that's, it's not that precious moments like coffee cup thing, you know? That's, that's not heaven. You guys know this. We talk about it often. What heaven is, and it's most kind of basic understanding, heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's where he is. It's the dwelling place of God. And, and throughout the Bible, you see heaven contrasted with what? It's actually not hell. If you read the scriptures, heaven is always contrasted with earth. Heaven and earth. Heaven versus earth. Okay? So I want you to think of heaven as like God's space. All right? Those of you that kind of grew up in the 90s and the 2000s, you had my space, right? Um, <clears throat> I'll filter, I'll stop that. Uh, you have my space, okay? So think of heaven as God's space. Think of earth as your space, our space, okay? So God's space, right? God's space is full of him. It's full of his presence. And the scriptures are clear. His, in his presence is fullness of joy, overflowing of joy. Like can't get any more joy because it's, it's just saturated, fully saturated. The fullness of joy in his presence, right? So heaven is full of goodness. It's full of justice and, 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 and beauty and love, right? Our space, very different. The earth, today, very different. Full of, full of sin, full of selfishness, full of brokenness, full of injustice, Here's the thing. The storyline of the Bible, from beginning to end, right? The storyline of the Bible, it's all about the union of heaven and earth. Think about that. It's about the union of heaven and earth, right? You guys know the scriptures. You know Genesis 1 starts with Adam and Eve. Where are they? Talk to me. In the garden, right? The garden of Eden, right? The Bible starts with Eden, Eden where, where, where heaven and earth are completely united. How do we know that? It's the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of man united. Okay? God's dwelling place and man's dwelling place are together. And then you know what happens? Genesis 3, right? The fall, Adam and Eve, right? They disobey God. And then what happens? Heaven and earth are what? Separated. Absolutely. Right? They're driven apart. Sort of like if you ever play with magnets as a kid. You know, the two kind of negative, driven apart. The dwelling place of God, the dwelling place of man, heaven, earth, separated. And then you fast forward thousands of years, right? God's rescue plan through his son, Jesus. The most, the most important act in the history of the world, right? What happens? God leaves his dwelling place, heaven, right? God leaves heaven and comes to earth, in the person of Jesus. Almighty God 
puts on flesh as a human, takes on human limitations, fully God, fully man, comes to earth in Jesus, right? And you have the kingdom of heaven literally invading earth. Now, these two spaces, they're not fully united, right? But at times now, after Jesus, they're overlapping. So I want you to see something. Jesus came to usher in something. He came to usher in the kingdom of heaven where? On the earth, okay? And he told it, we talked about this last week, he told his disciples to pray. And how did he tell them to pray? He says, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So you can see there's like this God orchestrating this beautiful reunion of these two separate kingdoms, these two separate spaces where God dwells and where man dwells, okay? And then what happens with Jesus' life? Jesus' life climaxes where? On the, on the cross, right? Where he takes on the punishment of the sins of the earth, the whole world, right? And he absorbs them. I want you to see the storyline here because it's powerful and it's beautiful and has implications for us. One of the things that makes Jesus' sacrifice so incredible and so amazing is that it has the power to reunite heaven and earth. God's dwelling space and man's dwelling space. Has the power to restore things to the way they were in the beginning, to the way that they're supposed to be. I don't know if you know this, God is really passionate about being with you. So passionate that he'd open his veins for it. Like, he'd pour out his blood. Like, I don't have a ton of time. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I think it's really important. Like, he desires you. Like, he wants to be with you. Can you... Can you just receive that this morning? Before I get into preaching, like he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. And you guys know how the Bible ends, right? The Bible ends with heaven and earth being fully united once again forever. Apostle John writes about this. It's beautiful words of the vision of him seeing this take place. Revelation chapter 21, verses one through four. I want to read this, but I just want you to like, I know you've heard these verses so many times, but like, good God, let this be written on your heart of what's in store for you if you're in Christ. John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Verse two, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, I love this, listen to it, see if you can pick up the theme. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. 
Friends, ultimately, heaven will be an eternal reality where God and man dwell together, where there's no sin, there's no death, there's no pain, there's no suffering, where things are the way that they're supposed to be. Uh, why am I telling you all this? Because I, I want the reality of heaven to be on the forefront of your mind, partly in the present, fully in the future. One more quote from you, from Mr. Alcorn. He says this, quote, many Christians think treasures in heaven won't be tangible because they imagine heaven won't be tangible. But the future heaven on the new earth will not be an intangible state where we float about as disembodied spirits. On the contrary, it will be a real material place on God's new earth, heaven. His servants will serve him. Servants always have things to do, places to go and people to see. We will worship God and we will eat, drink, celebrate, laugh, rest, work, and play together as physical people in a physical world. Listen to this next part. I love this. By the way, I capitalize heaven because it's a proper noun, a place every bit as real as the town you live in. Listen to this. The new earth will be as real as New England, so it deserves capitalization too. Oh, what awaits those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, you are filled with desires. I'm filled with desires, cravings, longings, like, please hear me. Heaven is everything you've ever wanted. Fullness of joy in the manifest presence of God. Like complete unity with God, complete unity with each other forever, unbroken. That's heaven. It's what you were made for. Now, that's heaven, but what are treasures in heaven? Jesus gives us the command. He's like, make the right investment here, man. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. What is that? The truth is we don't entirely know. And somebody who tells you specifically that they know, uh, <laughs> I'm a little concerned. It's the specifics of that, right? We don't entirely know. What is clear, though, what we do know is that these treasures are real. They are meaningful. They're rewards. We talked a little bit about that last week. And they will never fade away. They will never be taken from you. They will never be stolen from you. They're tangible. So friends, hear me. Jesus is teaching his disciples that heaven is the superior investment. But make no mistake, you are making investments. You are. Every time you spend your money, you're investing in something because you're hoping to get a return, even if it's just pleasure. Okay? All right, that was my first point, by far my longest point. Uh, my next point is this. Godly investing is a win-win strategy. Now, hear me out, okay? Reading this and you know, me pointing out that Jesus is, is commanding you to store up treasure for yourself, some of you might be thinking, like, that sounds really selfish. Like, I don't know how I feel about this, Tom. Like, this is kind of weird. Um, let me give you another quote. Quote, doesn't it seem strange that Jesus commands us to do what's in our own best interest? Wouldn't that be selfish? No. 
God expects and commands us to act out of, listen to this, enlightened self-interest. He wants us to live to his glory, but what is to his glory is always to our good. Selfish people pursue gain at others' expense, but God's riches are infinite. Listen to this. This is crucial for you to know. When you serve him and others, you store up treasures in heaven. This doesn't reduce the treasures available to others. Everyone gains, no one loses, okay? So hear me out. You've got to get this picture. This is huge, okay? Because the last thing that you need to do is believe the lie. It'd be given to the temptation to believe the lie that your generosity because you're storing up treasures for yourself in heaven is somehow like uh, selfish in nature and going to keep you from doing it. Listen, when you and I obey Jesus by being generous with our finances, two things happen. The first thing is that it blesses other people, right? They win. They benefit. When you're generous with your finance, let's just use money. When you're generous with your money, other people benefit. Would you agree? If you agree, give me a nod so I know that you're with me. Okay, great, right? So when we, when we do give love, we, 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 we pray, God, how would you have us uh, to, to, to sacrificially and generously give for North Africa, for South Africa, right? It's a benefit to them. When, when you guys give faithfully to the church budget, it's, it's a benefit to the other people sitting in this room. It literally funds the ministry that's happening here. When, when people, other, other people in your gospel community, when there's needs or things pop up and you're generous to provide resources to meet those needs. You guys, I'm looking around, you guys do this so well. It's beautiful. When you do that, it benefits and blesses others, correct? Get this. The second thing that happens is it simultaneously stores up treasure for you. Where? In heaven. So it's a win for them, and it's a win for you. Hear me. Jesus is brilliant. He's brilliant. Godly investing is a win-win strategy. It benefits them, and it benefits you. It's a win-win strategy. Let me, let me just reference Give Love because it's, it's the season that we're in as a church. We do this every year, right? But this is a kingdom investment. It, it, like literally, we're, we're, we're going to, people who have courageously in faith said yes to God's assignment on their life to move to a totally different place that's incredibly foreign to them because their maker, their creator, their father, their savior is going, hey, I, I want to invite you into the redemptive work I'm doing. That They've said yes. They're reorienting their lives around that. When, we, when we're giving, what we're giving to fund those missionaries so that they can do that work. And we're seeing, guys, we're seeing, um, I want to be careful because this is being recorded. We're literally seeing like the beginnings of churches get formed. It's happening in a place that is very, very, very cut off from Jesus. Culturally, uh, governmentally, like it's, 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 a, it's wild. I'll get more into details when it's not being recorded. But either way, we're, we're giving to those missionaries to be able to help them do that. And the result of that is, for some of you, people that you'll never meet, their eternity being secured. Like uh, Harbor City in South Africa, like their expenses uh, one of the things that Herrick um, did mention because he didn't have time, like the flooding that took place, natural disasters that took place in Durban the last couple of years has been like catastrophic. 
So it's not just like the church's budget suffering. It's like the whole country is massively suffering. What an, what an amazing opportunity to invest in the, the, the local body of believers there so that they can organizationally function to meet a tremendous amount of need without burdening people who are already incredibly in need. You with me in this? I want you to see the opportunity here of kingdom investments. When you give, it's benefiting them and it's simultaneously storing up treasures in heaven for you. It's a win-win strategy. Jesus is brilliant. His ways are comprehensively loving. They're comprehensively gracious. But hear me. Give love, as wonderful as it is, and I'm calling you to like press into the Lord and see what he might have you, how he might have you to participate. It's not the only investment available to you. Like, if you let him, God will share all sorts of investment ideas with you. Remember, he's the greatest financial advisor in the history of the world. His investments never return void. In fact, they pay dividends for eternity. I want to challenge you. Maybe today, Lord, what investments might you be inviting me to make? What kingdom investments? God, godly investing is a win-win strategy. It blesses the receiver and it stores up treasure in heaven for the giver. But remember, friends, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. All right, my next point. My next point is this. Your heart is hitched to your money. Your heart is hitched to your money. Uh, in 2021, uh, my brother Mark and I, we got camping trailers, these little camping trailers for our families. Uh, it's something that we had been talking about doing for years. We grew up camping, had wonderful experiences, and we were like kind of, kind of a little bit, we were talking about it before COVID, but I think COVID really kind of like, I was like, man, like we really want to be intentional about uh, memory making with our kids in ways that were um, affordable for us and those kinds of things. And so uh, we were able to do it together and, and it's been really, really great and wonderful and really healthy and good for our family. And uh, my brother Mark's son, Shepard, so my nephew, the cutest little boy, he like, he loves Jeeps and trailers. So we have Jeeps and we hitch the trailers onto the Jeeps, right? And we go camping. And... Shepherd is like always playing Jeeps and to the point where like he, his, his uh, imagination is really, really special. It's awesome. He'll be like, I'm the Jeep, you're the trailer, hitch up, let's go. <laughs> and you hitch up to Shepherd the Jeep and you have fun and uh, the trailer is hitched to the Jeep. So where the Jeep goes, the trailer will be there also. Jesus is saying that your heart is hitched to your money. Do you know what that means? I want to play a video for you guys, a quick, like, three-minute video. It's by this organization called The Bible Project. And they, they create amazing resources 
um, to help people understand the, primarily the storyline of the Bible, and that's it's one cohesive story that points to Jesus. It's really, really helpful. But one of the, the, the concept of the, the theme of the video I want to play for you really quickly is you, you need to, if we're going to understand this idea of your heart, right, your heart is hitched to your money, you've got to understand how the Hebrews viewed the heart because they viewed it differently than we do. And I thought about, maybe I'll break it down, but I was like, you know what? They just do such a good job explaining this in this video. I'm gonna just get out of the way and let, let you hear this because you need to understand this because it's, it's, it's important. Will you guys play that video for me? For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart, or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart, because from it flows your whole life. Now, the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick, who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. 
The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The heart in Hebrew culture, way more than just what you feel. It includes that. The heart in Hebrew culture, culture, right? I'm going to review the generator of physical life, right? It's beating in your chest, right? It's keeping you going. So they, they understood it as the generator of physical life. They understood it as where your thinking takes place. It's where, you're feel, where you feel your emotions. And hear this, and where you make choices motivated by your desires. And Jesus says your heart is hitched to your money. So in other words, your bank statements reveal what your heart is devoted to, set on, centered on. You getting the concept that Jesus is saying here? If you want to know what your heart really cares about, if you want to know what your heart is actually devoted to, follow the money. Because your heart is hitched to your money. If you read the New Testament, you see Jesus engaging with all different types of people. And one of the, one of the most um, entertaining for me uh, um, examples of this is when he would engage with religious people. Um, people who thought that it was their behavior that made them right before God, which we can make fun of other people, but we all do it. Uh, <clears throat> and, and Jesus, when he would, he would engage with these religious people, he would say things, especially the Pharisees, he would say things like, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You honor me with your words, but your heart, it, it's far from me. And remember how the, 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 the Hebrews viewed the heart, right? Your heart is not hitched to your lips. We tend to think that it is though, right? That your heart, it's not hitched to your lips. That means it's not primarily what you say that reveals the actual condition of your heart. But Jesus says there's something that does reveal the condition of your heart. Your bank statements. Your heart is hitched to your money. Pastorally in love, what about you? In this season of your life, not in past seasons of your life, what about you in this season of your life? What do your bank statements reveal about your heart? God's after your heart, friend. He desires you. All right, my next point. I should say Jesus' next point, and that's this. Greed and materialism blinds you. Okay, greed and materialism blinds you. I want you to consider the structure of this passage, okay? How Jesus structures his words in his sermon, okay? He goes this, he goes, he starts with talking about wealth and money, and he ends with talking about wealth and money, and then right there in the middle, he kind of sandwiches it. He says this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, 
Did he just like totally veer off? Or, or, or is he saying something that's connected here? Okay, what does that mean? The eye is the lamp of the body. What does that have to do with money? What does that have to do with the rest of the passage? Listen, what Jesus is saying is that no matter how much light there is, get the picture, okay, turn your your listening ears on. What Jesus is saying is that no matter how much light there is, if your eyes aren't working properly, you're going to be in darkness. Do you see what he's describing here? He's describing blindness. If your eyes can't take in light, no matter how much light there is, you can't see, which means it's essentially like you're in darkness. He's describing blindness, is he not? Okay. And he's intentionally saying that when talking about money. Friends, Jesus is saying that money has the power to affect the way we see things. And specifically that greed and materialism, treasures on earth, they darken the eye spiritually. Are you seeing this? This is really important. So what does that mean? It means greed and materialism has the power to blind you to greed and materialism. Think about this, okay? In other words, you won't know you're greedy because you can't see it. Because greed blinds you to greed. And materialism blinds you to materialism. So it's this like never-ending cycle of being unaware and, and, and blind. Greed and materialism blinds you to greed and materialism. That makes greed incredibly dangerous. Because you'll never be able to see if you're doing it. Are you tracking with this concept? that makes greed kind of different than other sins. It's not like other sins because you don't know you're doing it. You're blind to it because greed and materialism blinds you to greed and materialism. So like if, not to be crass, but like you know if you're murdering someone. You're like, I'm, I'm committing murder. You know if you're lying. You, you know if you're lusting. You know if you're doing some of these other sins, right? But Jesus says greed darkens the eye. Greed blinds you to greed. So hear me out. If you're here this morning and you're like, this makes sense, I get this, I acknowledge Jesus' teaching, but like, I, I don't, I feel like I, I struggle in other areas of my life. I'm not saying I'm not a sinner, like I, I am a sinner, but like this is just one of the areas, like I don't, I don't really struggle in this area. That's a very bad sign. Why? Because one of the symptoms of greed is being blinded to greed. Thinking I don't really have a problem with greed is one of the symptoms of greed. Are you seeing this? That's why Jesus is warning us. He's going, you're not gonna see it. It darkens the eye. And if you find yourself in that space where like greed really isn't an issue for me, I'm more, I struggle with this. That's a symptom of greed. Now, there's something really quickly, this is a bit of a tangent, but it's important. There's something hidden here in the original Greek that I think is worth noting. In verse 22, he says, if your eye is healthy, 
get this. The Greek word for healthy, what it literally means is generous. Maybe just maybe Jesus is connecting those three passages of the scripture. They're all connected. It's not like point A, point B, and then point A again. (laughs) Amen. So I want you to consider the structure of that passage one more time, right? Jesus starts by commanding us to store up treasures in heaven for ourselves, and then he warns us against the dangers of greed and materialism. Because greed and materialism blinds you to greed and materialism in your life. So here's the question for the disciple. For the, for the man or the woman or the child who goes, I want to follow Jesus. Here's the question for the disciple. Who in your life have you given permission to speak into your finances? This is so countercultural. This is so like Americans get, I'm going to say it, they get pissed. Like, don't talk to me about what I should be doing with my money. Listen, this is not about being controlling. This is about being wise. Who in your life have you given permission to speak into your finances? Because here's the thing. The principle here is that greed blinds us. That's what Jesus is saying, right? So that means when it comes to greed, we cannot trust ourselves. If we can't see it, how can we, we need someone else to show us. Like, I can't tell if there's something stuck in my teeth. I'm blind to it. Therefore, I need someone else to help me see if there's something stuck in my teeth. I have to do that by opening my mouth so that you can see if there's something stuck in my teeth. You with me? As uncomfortable as this makes you feel, but are you understanding what I'm saying? So hear me, friends. If you don't have people in your life that you can trust to point out greed, guess what? You'll never see it. And here's the important part. Guys, if you never see it, how can you repent? Jesus came preaching the gospel. He goes, repent and believe. If you never see it, you can't turn away from it. And hear me, listen, to live in unrepentant sin is to forfeit the kingdom of God. So here's my, here's my pastoral counsel, okay? Recruit, recruit other disciples that you trust. Okay, it doesn't have to be a thousand people, a handful of disciples, people that share the same worldview as you, centered on the gospel of Jesus, living for his will and his way, like desiring his kingdom, right? Other, recruit other disciples that you trust to help you identify greed and materialism in your life. So straight up, like, Ask them to speak into financial decisions before you make them. Um, I don't want you to feel like this is just like something I'm telling you to do or I'm like the pastor. This is something that me and my wife do all the time. There are people inside this room, outside of this room that I regularly call, hey, I'm, we're thinking about this. What do you think? Because I, I know that I, don't, I want to be on guard against things that are in opposition to God's kingdom ruling and reigning in my life. Greed is one of those. And I know that I'm blinded to greed because that's what greed does. So having people that you can go, hey, we're thinking about making this purchase. Hey, we're thinking about doing this. Hey, we're, we're, what do you think? That's wisdom. 
That's good. That's guarding you from the schemes of the enemy that will try to wreck you. <laughs> and I want to be like sensitive to like, I know that probably sounds kind of scary. And I, I want to be like very, um, I want to be sensitive to that. that. That might sound like a scary thing to do, but you know what's um, more scary? It might sound crazy. You know what's more crazy? What's more crazy is choosing to be blind when Jesus offers you sight. Remember, he will respect your decisions. He will respect your choices. Greed and materialism blinds you to greed and materialism in your life, but it also blinds you from something else. And this is my last point. It also blinds you from something else. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So greed and materialism can also blind you to the true master that you're serving. Get the picture. That means you're serving a master and you don't even see it. And like, this is one of those passages that's like, Jesus is like really clear. He's really clear. Like there's not really, there's no, not even not really, there's no in between. It's black or white. This isn't, this is very binary, right? Either Jesus is your master or money is your master. So the question isn't like, if you have a master, the question is who, right? God or money? But here's the question I feel like, how do you know? Because all of us, you know, all of us are prone to making mistakes. All of us are prone to wandering. All of us are like, nobody's perfect in the room. This is a room full of people who needed a savior, right? Still do, his name is Jesus. But how do you know? How do you know which master you're serving? Um, <clears throat> dogs have been pooping in my front yard. They're not my dogs. And typically people, if you're one of these people, I've talked about this before. If you're one of these people that let your dog poop on, the, on someone's sidewalk in front of their house and you don't pick it up, like shame on you. Because <laughs> like you got to walk out in front of your house and there's a big piece of crap and you're like, come on, man, you can at least like pick it up and like, yeah. But here's the thing. Like the reason I bring that up is like dogs are always like being walked in my neighborhood and, 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 I have a decent experience with dogs. Like, I feel like dogs are pretty wonderful animals. We don't have dogs currently, but we've had dogs in the past. I grew up with dogs. Dogs are, they're, they're wonderful, beautiful animals. Are they not? They really are. It's not the dog's fault that it pooped right there. It's really the master's fault. But <clears throat> dogs are incredibly loyal creatures. Like, if you, if you compare and contrast dogs to cats, who would you say is the more, the more loyal creature? Dogs, like, not even close. Like, cats, man... They're just not loyal. It's like, oh, you're going to feed me? Peace out. I'm out. Like, dogs are incredibly loyal creatures. To who? To their masters. A dog follows his master. It, it's in tune with the voice of its master, right? It, it does what its master says. It goes where its master leads them. So how do you know if your master is God or your master is money. 
if you aren't following Jesus with your finances, if you aren't storing up treasures for yourself in heaven, if you aren't doing what your heavenly financial advisor says, then you've chosen a different master. My last point is that everyone has a master they serve. Don't believe the lie. We all have a master that we serve. My question to you in love is the same question that I've been asking myself all week. And it's this. Do you know what master you're serving? Or are you living your life with a darkened eye? Blind to the reality of the true condition of your heart. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus died to free you from that. Salvation, freedom. From masters that will ultimately cause you harm. All right, I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. If you're in the prayer team, would you make your way to the side of the room? How are we doing on time? I know I'm going a little bit long, but I think we're doing good on time. Okay. Like I mentioned when we got started this morning, Jesus talks about money so much, guys. One of the, one of, uh, one of my genuine prayers for our church is that money wouldn't be one of those things that's like taboo and off limits and we don't talk about it. Why? Because we want to be like Jesus. I know that you know this, but I want you to think of an answer in your head. Why do we do all this? Why do we gather to praise him? Why do we, um, why do we gather as gospel communities for the Lord's Supper to open the scriptures and pray and minister and all the things that we do. Why do we do these? Why do we engage in these spiritual disciplines? Why do we engage in these strategies? We do this to become more like him. That's the purpose of our lives is to become more like him. So us talking about money is one of just a million ways that we can become more like him because it's not a taboo thing. There's a lot of implications with this. If it becomes this hidden taboo thing we don't talk about, that means we never address some of the things that Jesus wants to free us from and empower us towards, okay? Jesus talks so often about money, here's why. Because he knows we treasure money more than we should. And so I guess the question, if you're anything like me, it's like, okay, I'm not gonna, we're not done. But like, how do we break the power of money over our lives? If you're honest, you know that it sometimes has power over your life. How do we break the power of money over our lives? How do we, how do we avoid serving it like a slave serves its master? The answer is the gospel of Jesus. The answer is the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God has put on flesh in the person of Jesus, that he left heaven, that he came to earth, that he came to literally perform perfectly in your place a task, living life, that you never could, that I never could, that we failed at as your substitute living perfectly in your place. And not only that, but dying the death that you and I deserve for the ways that we've resisted, rebelled against God, for the ways that we've been unloving and selfish towards God's creation, 
namely other people. The good news that God did that for us. Why did he do that? Out of intense and passionate love for you. Friends, listen to me. God died for you and for me. I know that you know that, but you don't know it. That's why I'm telling you. I don't know it. That's why I need you to tell it to me. Like, I know it, but I don't believe it all the time. I need you to, I need you to preach the gospel to me. Listen to me. God died for you. Do you know what that means? Like, guys, you only die for that which is precious to you. You only die for that which is precious to you. The cross of Jesus is the most profound thing that's ever happened. It's worthy of your meditation, your contemplation. And I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to minimize the resurrection. I'm not trying to minimize his perfect life. I just want to, the cross is so beautiful because the cross is proof that God treasures you. He's all about storing up treasures in heaven, isn't he? God treasures you. If you don't hear any of the principles that we've talked about today, as helpful as they are, will you just take this one with you today? That the cross is proof that God treasures you. Not some future version of you. Not some religious version of you where you try to clean yourself up so that you're kind of presentable enough. No, God treasures you. The real you. The broken you. The sometimes unwise you. The still in process you. Uh, the one who makes stupid decisions sometimes. Money is an inferior master. Money is an inferior master. Money doesn't treasure you. <laughs> Money certainly doesn't lay its life down for you. But Jesus does. He did. Listen to me. When you see that God treasures you, when you see that God treasures you despite your imperfection, despite your poor performance, despite your sin, when you see that God treasures you despite that, you cannot help but treasure him back, man. It's, it's grace and love that's irresistible. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. The innermost part of your being is like, I can't help it, you've won my heart. Like, there's nothing more beautiful than that. It's what you've longed for your whole life. It's what you long, like, when you wake up in the morning, you're craving that kind of love. That's not a mistake, that's not an accident, it's not a coincidence. It's the groom in heaven wooing you. And it's, that's the remedy, friends. That's the remedy. That breaks the power of greed and materials in your life. It, it, it changes what you desire. You see this. It literally transforms what you want. When you see that he treasures you, you can't help but not treasure this and treasure this now. When you see it, when you receive it, when you take it in, right? It changes your desires. That's the remedy. God becomes your treasure and money simply just becomes a tool. An important tool, it's not bad. It's a good thing. 
So allow me to just like fantasize as a pastor for just a second. Imagine. Like imagine if just our small little church in the Temecula Valley of Southern California. Imagine if we were free from the power of money. Imagine if we were free from its power. I'm not saying we demonize it. I'm not saying that at all. But what if we were free from its power? What if we were so free that, I don't know, we lived like the church did 2,000 years ago? There was very wealthy people, not so wealthy people, different types of people, different incomes, different professions, different things. But what they had in common was they were free from the power of money. Go read Acts 2. What if, what if we lived like they did 2,000 years ago? Do you know what would happen? It would wildly stand out. Like people would be like, what is going on here, okay? People would take notice. Like word would spread because there'd be ripple effects of how we lived. Word would spread, like even to places really far away. And you might be like, Tom, like how, how do you know? Like, how can you say that? How can you say that with definitive, you know, proof or whatever? I mean, proof. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. There's data. (laughs) It happened. There's a small group of people who were free from the power of money in a world where earthly wealth was treasured. They had a very different treasure. They treasured the God who treasured them. Jesus. He was their treasure. And it resulted in something. It freed them to operate differently. It resulted in very real love for all types of people. Regardless of their background, regardless of their resume, regardless of their skin, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of fill in the blank. It resulted in this very real, very powerful, very intense love for all people. And it also resulted in radical and sacrificial generosity to any and all people in need. And the whole world took notice. I know I'm long. I know I've gotten long, but listen to me. You need to hear this. And I pray that it just makes its way into the deepest corners of your heart. Not just yours, but mine. And it's that God treasures you. He treasures you. And the cross is proof of that. And listen, if you believe that, like if you actually trust that it's true, it will free you from the power of money. God will become your treasure and money will simply become a tool. I want that for my life. I want that for your life. Because on the other end of that, do you know what that is? Freedom. Freedom for us that ultimately leads to freedom for others. Let me pray. Father, I pray for freedom in this room. I I pray specifically for people who are feeling any ounce of condemnation right now. 
um, this principle applies the same to people who make $100 a month as it does to people who make $10 million a month because it's the same heart. Jesus, that's what you're after. You're after the heart. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would deliver us from the power of money over our lives. I pray that you would deliver those of us who are like, um, who, for whom money is, 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 is like a master. And I pray that you would help us to see that there really is a better master. Money is an inferior master. Jesus, you're the only one worthy. You're the only one worth submitting to. You're the only trustworthy one. We're not even trustworthy. We're blinded to our sin most, more, often than, more often than not. And so would you free us from that? I pray that you would use our community uh, to leverage every resource you've given us, time, money, material, whatever, that we would leverage it for the win-win investments in life. Storing up treasures in heaven and being a blessing to those around us. We want you to lead us and guide us in that, Lord. And I'm thankful because as I look around this room, I see radically generous people. I see people who are incredibly thoughtful. I see people who are like, day by day surrendering their will to yours in this area of their finances. And I just want to say, like, I, I feel like it's your fatherly care to say like, that pleases you. And so I thank you for that work that you're doing in our community and I ask for more. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you treasure us, God. Let that be written on our hearts. We love you, amen. Friends, will you stand if you're able? For the remainder of our time, I don't know, 10-ish minutes or so, the band's gonna lead us into a time of response. Thank you for being uh, gracious and with me for going a little bit long. I wanna invite you now, if you wanna receive prayer for any reason, there are trusted men and women off to the side that would love to pray for you. Um, and then the band's gonna lead us in a time of response and praising God for his generosity to us, his kindness to us, his faithfulness to us. We praise him because he treasures us. We praise him because he loves the unlovable. That's me. And it's a beautiful thing. So take a moment, enjoy him, and then Herrick will be up shortly to close us, okay? Love you guys very much. Thank you, Father, for sending your son for us. Thank you that he is satisfying, that he satisfies our deepest longings that we try to satisfy elsewhere, whether it's money or through some other strategy that we've adopted. I thank you that you sent your son, though, and in him there's fullness of life. In him, all of our desires and longings are satisfied. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you would help us this morning this afternoon, evening, this week to apply some of these things that we talked about today out of an overflowing gratitude for the one who laid down his entire life for us. The one who didn't tithe his blood, as it's been said, but he gave it all for us. The one who loved us to the very end of his life. Thank you, Father. We love you. Let me thank you. In your name, amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to try to close this out as quickly as I can. And I've just been thinking, I'm just going to share this real quick, about Zacchaeus. If you don't know who Zacchaeus is, he was a wee little man who lived uh, 2,000 years ago. And he was a tax collector. He was very rich. 
And so he was a part of this Roman oppression of the Jewish people, God's people. And Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus is contextually really, really close to the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, Jesus came to him and said, sell everything, you're going to have treasures in heaven and follow me. And he went away sad because he didn't want to do that. And then a little bit later, we read about Zacchaeus, the rich man, tax collector, who would have been hated in his culture, who made incredible compromises in order to be in a privileged position in his culture. Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, who was up on a tree, come on down. Humble yourself and receive me in your home. And Zacchaeus said, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And Jesus told him, today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. I can't get into all of it, but here's my point. In between these two stories, there's another story that I can't get into right now about Jesus restoring sight to a blind man. Tom talked about how greed blinds us, and I'm here to let you know there's good news. Jesus restores our sight. If blindness has befallen you and me, us, because of greed, I'm telling you here that Jesus can heal you of that. And he can move you in such a deep way that you can say, here it is, Jesus. Here's my, my treasures. You are my treasure. This is just a tool. And in fact, I'll use it to reveal how good you are and how good you've been to me. So what is money to you, a tool or is it your treasure? I just want to leave you with that question today. If it is your treasure, I want you to know that this morning was like a mirror just to help you see that. That's all that is because Jesus wants your freedom. Jesus wants you to be free from the love of money and being controlled by it. Instead, he wants it to be a tool that you use for good, to bless other people. And just want to say one last thing real quick. There's so much I want to say, but we're out of time. I want to encourage you. Some of you here, because of the financial realities of our time, inflation, the rising cost of everything, you have been sacrificial, and it's gotten harder, hasn't it, to be sacrificially generous because of all the pressure on our finances because of the environment and the economic climate that we're in. You're sending it on ahead. I just want to encourage you with that. What you put into God's hands will be yours for eternity. It's recession-proof. It is inflation-proof. It is proof for whatever else may come. You're sending it on ahead. And I just want to put a little gas in your tank today if you are weary financially because of that pressure. It will be yours for eternity. Father, thank you for this morning. There's a lot that can be said and only so much time. And so I'm going to trust you that you will help us to apply this word to our lives today. Would you heal us of blindness caused by greed? Would you open up our hearts and our wallets like you did to Zacchaeus? And I pray that it would flow from this experience of how good you are to us, even though we are undeserving. Zacchaeus was so undeserving and he knew it. He was compromised and he knew it. And yet you came to him and he was like, take it all. May we be those, that kind of person, those kinds of people. We say like, we're compromised and broken, but you have come, and I want to follow you, and you're worth it, and salvation has come, and you can have it all, Jesus. I'm just sending it on ahead, because you're Lord. 
God, we love you and we thank you. Children, we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and close this off, soft, soft close. If you have kids, please go grab them in kids' ministry. If you want prayer, there's still people available to pray for you. And I'll just say this. It should be normal for us to just confess greed. Tim Keller, I think, once said, in all my years of ministry, not a single person has come to me and said, I struggle with greed. That's the blindness piece, right? So it should be normal for us in our GC to be like, man, I'm being really stingy right now. Or I'm really struggling with this. So I just want to invite you. Go get prayer. Go get help. This isn't weird. It's actually normal. It's a sign of the kingdom breaking in. We love you. Amen. Look at your kids.